This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review podcast. I'm Chris Hambling. We're here to look back at the crazy home game against Bournemouth, which saw Roy pick up his 100th Premier League win and Palace score over a quarter of their home goals for the season. We'll be dissecting the game and looking at the end of season issues right after this. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Right, it's time to meet the panel for the week. First up, it's DR Kerners. Hello, DR. Hello. How are you, young man? I'm fine, you? I'm all right, I'm all right. I'm curious. You're fasting at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Why, when it's called fasting, does it go on for so long? Oh, too much, Nick. You, you know that's a neat trick. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Hambo. I'm I'm fine though. I'm fine mentally. Some people struggle, but I'm I'm used to it now. So, so yeah. I was talking to a to a, a cab driver um, fairly recently, who was driving me from Crawley to Reading after my my car broke down, and uh, he was telling me <laughs> how um, that the when he, when he fasts, he has to drink a, an awful lot of water before sun up. Uh, do you do that? For sun up, before sun up, before sun up, before the sun comes up, before the sun comes up. Oh, says, oh. sun up! Oh, sun up! Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I do. Oh, it's so hard though. That's the you have to balance it out because if you drink all at once, then you can't eat because you're full. That's yeah. why when I do that, I can't bend myself. Like I can't bend over. Like let's say when I'm cleaning my feet or whatever at night. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot in that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I realised that we That's really don't I... don't have time to go through uh, any of that, sadly. But good information, Dr. Really appreciated. Uh, hello, yeah. Mister Mike Scott. How are you? I'm not bad. Um, I follow a couple of uh, Instagram pages of just memes of people currently fasting uh, with all the questions they get asked. Um, and I can believe that the worst part of fasting must be dealing with the annoying questions that they get for a month. Um, so we're probably just making this worse, aren't we? I like, Sorry, dear. I, I like, Sorry, dear. I like to learn, Mike, don't you? I, I do like to learn, yeah. Um, I also am quite happy that I can have a beer right now and not worry about that. But, um, yeah. yeah. Other, other than that, I'm good. I'm absolutely knackered from the kids. Absolutely battering me this weekend. but. Yeah, I'm all right. Right, what's a fascinating chat with those two gentlemen? Uh, just before we go on, you know, I, as Mike often points out, I, I rarely share. I mentioned of uh, a, a car breakdown, so I'm just going to alienate myself from all of you listeners by showing off for a little bit. Um, I, I, you know, I have a, I have a vehicle. It broke and um, it was it was recovered and went into the garage. Um, and my courtesy car is the least likely courtesy car you'll ever get. So in the past, I've had a Nissan Qashqai, terrible vehicle, uh, 
Vauxhall Mocha, awful, awful vehicle. At this time, I was given a, um, a Jaguar F-Type, uh, a 3.0-litre uh, V6 F-Type, which is, um, I feel quite intimidated by driving it. It's um, it's absolutely terrifying, I'll be pretty honest with you. You have, to, you have to thank the listeners as well, Chris, you forgot that, as you're using back of the nest money to fund your F-Type. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Why are you laughing? Yeah. I'm sorry I had to expose you, but go ahead. I'm waiting. You, you, you're absolutely right. Thank you, listeners, for the the sixty six grand it cost to buy that car. Um, it's a <laughs> it's a courtesy car, Dr. You know that. Yeah, yeah. What about your other car? How did you get what that? About, your other company, drag. That's a company vehicle. Um, oh, uh, back of the nest company no, vehicle. No, no, <laughs> no. no, that, no. Go. It's getting exposed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just have to let it all out. I can't believe you've waited to the end of the season to expose me and my my money grabbing antics. Those those adverts, mate. I'm telling you, when you uh, when you hear whatever adverts are on <laughs> by um, by Acast, I'm telling you, we get so much buds from those. I uh, I just want to add something in, and I don't want to talk about cars because I drive the most boring Vauxhall. Um, <laughs> producer Sam, who has been a stalwart of this podcast for the entire season. Um, has been really keen for us to finish in time for her watching uh, an episode of Game of Thrones, whatever time it is on. Um, and she's exceptionally hungover because she's been on a hen for the weekend uh, with a lady called Claire. Uh, and we've taken ages recording and she wanted to point out that Claire is a horrible, horrible human being. So I just want to add that in wow. before we start talking about Palace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in solidarity, I would like to say, Claire, I hate you and everything that you stand for. Dr. You I, I hate you, Chris. Don't hate Claire. You don't even know Claire. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, but Sam's told me all about her and her antics. Oh, okay. Plus, I got history with Claire's. I got no time for it. All right, then I hate actually, Claire. Actually, apart, can I have, actually say, apart from any Claire's listening today, unless it's Claire. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Claire's listening listening to our show that are committed to our show. I've got time for you, Claire's. But any other Claire's, well, no, that's it. Terms and conditions apply right. to the hate. <laughs> Thank you, dear. <laughs> Much appreciated. Right, let's get on with this. Um, great end to the season for Palace. Absolutely delighted to um, to smash Bournemouth in the manner that we did. A very exciting game, completely belying everything else we've seen at home all season. Uh, and what a wonderful... Um, example of attacking football it was and we'll be talking much more about that in a minute there's a few stories we want to cover first dr kerners you've picked this one out rumors at the on the day of recording that's former man city owner Thaksin Shinawatra. i did it for you oh, thank you uh, um, <laughs> it's looking to uh to buy into palace uh and away you go yeah i think um it's interesting really the time and as a month or two ago we heard the rumors that potentially the, the American owners want out of the club. So now this rumour is coming in. I don't think it's a coincidence. I feel like there's some truth to that story about the American owners. And I won't be surprised if more starts coming, more of these types of stories start coming in. But uh, I looked a bit into, I'm going to call him Mr. Frank. I'm just, I looked a bit into Mr. Frank. He uh, owned Man City for a year. <laughs> Why laughing? Mr. Frank. Anyway, go on, carry on. Yeah, um, and basically, his former employee, uh, Seven Goran Eriksson, I didn't pronounce that correctly, I know. Um, he said this what, about Sven Goran Eriksson, the England manager. Yeah, yeah. Your former England manager. Not the seventh Goran Eriksson, it's, it, it's different. That's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, this is what he said. He said, in the beginning, it was good with Mr. Frank, because, but he didn't understand football. He hadn't a clue. He thought beating Manchester United twice in one year was normal. Told the players they must be more aggressive, he said. When we won, he invited me for dinner. When we lost, he didn't even say hello. Mr. Frank was in politics. And I feel like that last bit um, is important because now he's out of politics, of course. And he's it's been rumoured how he's uh, wanted for corruption, etc. Well, this, they weren't rumours. He was, he was, he's been exiled from, from Thailand for <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like uh, he's out of politics now. But of course, the corruption part is bad. But I, I still trust Steve Parrish in making a decision on who to bring in because at the end of the day, he's still sports pilots. And we've, we've critiqued him on this show 
uh, for some of the decisions he's made, but he's kept us in the Premier League for how many years now? And um, I trust him. So I don't feel like if it wasn't the right man, Steve Parrish uh, will sell it to him. I don't feel like that will happen. I, uh, I just want to point out that there was a really interesting discussion from, I think it was Adam Sales on uh, FYP a couple of weeks back um, when he was asked, um, you know, for his input on um, the the takeover and Americans wanting out and stuff like that. And he pointed out that uh, as far as he knew, the Americans owned 18% each and only one of them wanted out. Um, so whether that's Harris or whether that's Blitz, I don't know. Um, but if one of them wants out and that's 18%, they, these rumours a bit like transfer rumours, are going to be blown out of all proportion. But that's only 18%. That's the same ownership as what Parish owns. So uh, the moment I saw this, I thought it, it doesn't add up with, with what people know about if one of the Americans wants out. Of it. Well, that, that's 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 not ownership of the club. So I'd, I'd sort of spray a, spray a bit of water, spray a hose over this rumour pretty quickly. Well, what I would say on it... Um, so there's actually, there's actually quotes in there. You know, they're talking to someone who who worked with uh, Thaksin or Mr. Frank, as for some reason he's now known. Um, so there's, look, there's certainly, it's, it's more substance than just someone writing something about a, a rumour as such. So, but what tends to happen, and if you go back to all the times we've, we've spoken to Steve Parrish, you go back to some of the things he said in the press, whenever there's an expression of a want to buy a club, you know, certain people try to do it through the media. There's loads of expressions of interest. You know, I think they were saying that they get expressions of interest probably, you know, two or three a week at, at that level um, at certain times. And it, I think, you know, you can see that there's some logic there, but the figures being talked about, you talk about 150 million. Now, the, the club's going to be valued higher than that, you know, on squad alone. So it does make sense that it would be to buy a stake in the club, not to buy the whole club. Mm. Um, but having said that, there's all sorts of reasons why, you know, which we, we can't really get into in the time that we've got about why that would potentially be a worry, but also might well not happen. It's, it's a difficult one. He's got experience running a football club and surrounded by the right people. He might feel um, he can give it a, a bit of a go now. And whether or not, the motivation is to run a foot, successful football club for the, you know, the, the kudos, if you like, or, or to try and make some money. I'm not so sure. It, it tends to, I think the Man City ownership was only a year or so, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But I think, I think based on the quotes that you've given DR, it's pretty clear that success was and, and prestige was what he was after you know, in a football club. So there's there's pros and cons to that approach, but um, it's wor- it does worry me, I'll be honest. But at the same time, if, if people do want to sell their share or the club is up for sale and, and, and people are interested in talking yeah, about it. Yeah, then, then absolutely so spot on. And 150 million is uh, what's been... What's been quoted in all the articles I've read. Um, so if we think back to when we were discussing last week about players' wages and that kind of thing, and the value of the club um, according to the index that you were looking at, and it, that was a, around the six hundred million mark. You know that would be sort of twenty five percent. So eighteen sounds sounds about right. Um, but as you say, I mean, if there's any any kernel of truth to him having got anywhere with this it is a little bit worrying, um, but we shall keep people posted, I'm sure. And la- one last thing for anyone who cares, uh, which some might do, his net worth is around 1.9 billion uh, American dollars. I don't know why I said American Look, dollars. That- <laughs> yeah, dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's other countries yeah, that have right. dollars. Australian dollars, Canadian dollars. Yeah. Probably others, oh, Barbadian, do- Barbadian dollars. Is Barbadian? I don't know. Now it's probably not the time to wonder <laughs> if you see, it is Barbadian. Um, I can look that up later, so I will. Or, or not. Um, DR, the next topic is also one from you, I think. No, it's not. It's Mike. Mike, take us into it. <laughs> Absolutely faultless transition there. Good work. Uh, I wanted to right. discuss. I, <laughs> I wanted to discuss. Um, we, we often say that with the best discussions of back of the nest uh, personnel come on our whatsapp group so i thought it's about time that we uh, we let the listeners in and uh, there was discussion on ben teke last night and i don't know if anyone oh, dr doesn't drink but you know a few of us may have had a drink um 
it got a little bit heated about uh, Benteke's value, that kind of thing, where he was going. Um, and I wanted to discuss the fact that DR has publicly said that he wants Hodgson out this 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 year on more, more than one occasion. But he uh, seems to defend Benteke to the absolute hilt, uh, regardless of some of the stats. I'm going to hit you with some of the stats. Players who've scored more goals than Benteke this season, Luca with 12, Zahar with 10, Andros with 9, Batshuayi with six, Schlupp with five, PVA with four, Jimmy Mack with three, Max Mayer with two, Jordan Ayew with two, and Own Goals with three. Um, he's played 17 this season, he scored one. Uh, and to put that in perspective, Serlot's played 16 this year and scored one. Um, last season, he played 31, scored three. So that's four goals in 47 appearances. So... Um, some of us were discussing that perhaps some of his value may have dropped um, to the point where a couple of us were thinking perhaps he'd be worth between five and ten million. Um, bearing in mind, he also got a year left on his contract, so um, that's going to put the value down immensely as well. The question really is, how can you back Benteke um, when you haven't backed Hodgson? And uh, secondly, what, what, what's going to happen? Um, what's going to happen with Benteke and probably what's going to happen with strikers this, for the next season? I'm confused. I only said Benteke is worth... I, I don't think we should sell Benteke for £5 million. I'd rather his contract runs out than we send him for £5 million. It's not like I said, oh, Benteke is a world-class striker that's going to beat us. The conversation started from me saying, oh, would you rather us... Asking the group chat, would you rather us sell Benteke if if we had the chance to sell Benteke and get Mitra Batshuayi? I know we don't live in a perfect world, but if we had the chance, we'd do that. And my it's some Mikey, the producer, he said no because uh, he doesn't believe in uh, he believes that Batshuayi's attitude could be a problem. But it just started from that. I just don't think selling Benteke for five million is worth it. I'd rather his contract runs out. At least if we get injury crisis, he's he's still got two legs and. I know he hasn't been the peak Benteke, but he has shown some decent performances this season and I wouldn't sell him for five million. It's not like I said, oh, Benteke is going to be the next Messi next season. Wait on it. I, I just said that he's not worth five million. I'll at least wait on 15 million or let him go for free because end of the day, which he's not worth anything less than 15 million in this market now in this day and age. I'm actually dying when you said he's still got two legs. That's a, that's my favourite argument for the retaining <laughs> striker. Still, guys, he's still got two legs. He's had some decent um, performances. Hey, look, um, I'm actually, you know, I'm a fan of, of Ben Benteke. I really am. Ben Benteke, as I just called him for some reason. Um, I think that it, I, the debate we had was, was it would have been interesting if I wasn't watching something on TV that I cared more about. But... Um, I do. I do think there's a lot of truth in in discussing how much we can get from him in terms of value. It's as you say, Mike. The, the contract running down really does affect that value. But you also have to ask the question, and I suppose this might be where where Dr's coming from. You have to really ask the question: What is he going to actually be worth? Um, in, in you know, to, to to anybody now, based on the recent stats. But you have to kind of marry that up against what can you what can you buy for five million quid in terms of a striker Jordan are you that's basically what you can buy um you know half decent championship striker these days will cost you 15 million quid I think you'd take Chris Wood uh going to, to Burnley season before last or last season I can't remember now um but he was 15 million quid and you know had a, had a decent record at championship level but never really cut it in the Premier League uh, you look at the money we got for Dwight Gale going back to the championship, you know, 10 million quid. Christian Benteke still carries a, a reputation. He still carries um, the potential to, to rediscover at least some of that form. So I think that's where you get to the discussion about value. And I, and I get what they are saying, but at the same time, it, it does seem the, the, the sort of uh, the difference in, in wanting Hodgson out, who's which we'll look at his record in a bit versus uh, defending Benteke, who is, is not really delivered as a striker for various reasons. It's a, it's an interesting one. I think my, my main view on it is, you know, he, he's on 115, 120 grand a week. And if we go back to what we were discussing last week about Palace, uh, Palace's value as a club uh, being down because of the fact that 78% of 
uh, turnover goes on wages. Um, I, I can't think of an easier way to, to, to alleviate that issue than to just offer him out. I mean, that's a, that's a huge amount of money going each week. And you've got to imagine Jordan I is going to be on, you know, a third of that. Um, and he offers something different. And in when, I mean, Townsend's played all season and Wilf's had a, a fairly injury-free season. He was decent cover when he came in for Wilf. So, um, to me, I use a, a better a better prospect for what we need. Um in, in as much as we do need a striker, but you know we don't need one that's not scoring any goals. But he's just such a drain on wages for something that stressed the club out for so long that it, it's irrelevant whether he's five million, ten million, whatever. Um, because essentially, it's the ongoing sort of operation expenditure that he's he, he's costing. Um, just if it, if he's got a year left on his contract, if he scored four goals in 47 appearances, I don't think anyone would be that bothered if he went. Obviously, wouldn't be that bothered if he stayed as well. But then someone else has got to go in order for the wages to even themselves out. And and I can't think of a player I'd rather see go that's on high wages. So what's your value of Benteke? What's the minimum that we should at least sell him for? I, I don't think the the amount matters. I, I, as I say, I think it's, it's totally about his wages and the fact the wage structure is bringing down the ability to sign new players. Um, so whether he goes for nothing or whether he goes for 10 million doesn't seem to make much difference to me. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I do think the the thing that we, we thing that we should lose track of in all of this is that the other, there is another option there. And that is to get Christian Benteke on a lower wage by offering him a new contract. I think that, that seems the obvious thing to do. You can, you can address both the issue of having to replace them um, and you also address the issue of higher wages. Now, whether or not he'd be willing to accept that will determine whether or not we then go out to market. And that's where you get into that debate, that interesting debate. What is he actually worth? You know, a £30 million striker when we signed him? Definitely not that now. Yeah, and but as you said, Chris, that is a good point. But how much... Uh, will Benteke willingly go down in his wages? What? How much does he want to have a pay cut for? Um, that's another thing as well, because end of the day, he may not earn the big bucks here, but somewhere another club may pay him that. So it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to solve. It's not like it's easy. It's just, oh, you can sell Benteke and everything's solved. His wages are gone and we got money. It's not as easy as that. I feel like you don't want him to go for too cheaply, but then again, the wages is a concern. But... We'll see what happens in the summer, at least. Um, he's got another year left in his contract, so the club really need to make a decision this summer whether they want to keep him or they want to sell him and at what value. I, I just don't think he's got a lot of bargaining power. Um, you know, this is a man that scored four goals in two seasons. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of fans that are, are not a fan of him. You know, I've heard plenty of fans in in the lower homestyle calling him a donkey plenty of times. I I, I think he'd have to sort of accept what he's being offered because I'm not sure many other clubs are going to offer for him unless he goes, you know, over to China and whatever the other rumours were. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking about China. You could go to our countries like that where they just pay you ridiculous amount of money and then why would you stay at Palace? Because you still get, you'll still be the same talent, but you'll get more money. It's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, the interest has got to be there first of all. There was that rumoured interest from, from China, but whether that's still there or not, I'm not so sure. Um, whether they're still spending the sort of money um, in that division that they were previously. Again, not so sure, but clearly, the, the, as you say, the decision has to be made in the summer. His his stock is lower, so he should be expecting any contract offer to reflect his, his form over the last couple of years, at the very least, as well as obviously respect you know respecting the reputation that he had when he joined and, and the work that he's put in since he had joined the club. But, you know, he, he has to accept that he's no longer... The, the the draw the kind of top player that he once was and if we just think about the the rumors today uh, i don't i don't know how much truth there is in it but i'm I, i'm sure that there's a decent amount um that you know that the, the club are having trouble sorting a new contract with luca um it's fully understandable because you know he's probably looking at ben Seco thinking oh, he's on the best part of double my wages um and i've you know, a top scorer this season, as well as being an absolute rock. Um, so he's sort of, if anything, making the whole fabric of the club slightly skewed. Um, and that, that will be 
causing a lot of issues. Um, but if we go on to um, the other part of the question uh, about Hodgson, uh, we can look at his stats as well. Um, now, I had a look at the win ratios for uh, managers since we came up. And uh, he's pretty much up there. I mean, he's he's got 35.56% win rate. So 16 wins from 45 games. Um, Allardyce had 40. Amazingly, Pardew had 40 as well, which I, I can't quite believe. Um, but other than that, you know, Pulis similar, Holloway a bit less. So, I, I you know, highest points total uh, since a 42-game season. Not the highest position, but uh, I would say... Despite Benteke, Hodgson, Hodgson has defied his critics this season. Oh, I don't know what DR thinks. Um, yeah, I've already said before, um, around a couple of months ago, even, even recently actually, um, how I wanted Hodgson out. And it's not I want Hodgson out because for the sake of it, it's for reasons such as not being stubborn with his tactics and not making changes when it's not working. But, you know, over like after yesterday's game, I had a real deep think about this season because now it's over. I can just look back and look where we are. And it has been an emotional season. And I feel like this season, the reason why I've been frustrated is because of expectations. Last season, we finished the season off so strongly. And I, I expected us to at least fight for a top 10 finish despite losing Kawhi and Ruben off his cheek as getting Max Meyer and Cheko Kuyate, they were still decent players and we already had a decent squad. But most part of the season, we were 14th and we weren't really pushing for that top 10 finish and pushing for top seven as well. We were just stuck in 14th and I think it was mainly due to tactics rather than luck. But then again, I'm just looking at our home form versus our away form. Away form, we're Europa League club, simple. We're, I think, sixth in the table in away form, whereas at home, we're 18th. We know the performance from Max Mayer yesterday, you look at how we played in the game yesterday and you can't help but think... That was Palace with the shackles off. That was last game of the season. Let's not get dragged down by having to keep our shape, keep the game tight, all that kind of stuff. And, and both sides went at it. And there's obviously no guarantees that that's going to be the result of us attacking. But you can't help but think with the the centre-back pairing that we had with the with the attacking talent on show and how it was allowed to express itself that there's perhaps a little bit of a, a lesson to be learned. In, again, as I've talked about most of this season, trust in the, the strength of the squad, the strength of the attacking players to go out and, and outscore the opposition. Doesn't won't happen in every game, but um, I think yesterday, perhaps, as much as it placated a lot of people, certainly myself, and you know, again, I feel a bit shoddy about how I've talked about Roy this season because... We've, we've finished fantastically, really, really strong end of the season. And it looks ridiculous to even be questioning him now. However, you know, you can't hide from the issues that we have had this season and why we became as frustrated as we did. So I think yesterday just served to fuel the fire that we could attack more and the consequences aren't necessarily that we'd lose the game, particularly if you think about having a first-choice defence there. Yeah, I was just about to say, um, you know, you've got, you've got Kelly and Wald... So we're basically talking about essentially a third choice defence for, for well central defence anyway. Um, but what I would say, Hodgson came out after the game and said uh, he, he didn't he didn't immediately talk about the five goals. He did talk about them, but he was annoyed that we conceded three. Um, and I was a little bit as well. Um, there was an element of luck in in our third goal, and there was an element of luck in in their second. Um, but conceding three at home you know that that clearly that clearly bothered him uh, and I, I like the fact that we've got uh, a manager that's more bothered about conceding three than scoring five I've got to say it might lead to some one nil wins rather than um, you know really free playing football but it doesn't take much it only takes one injury um, to really aggravate a problem uh, if you've got a really free free flowing forward forward line uh, one player missing and especially if it's Wilf, um, you're in a lot of trouble. So you could end up, you know, knowing that you're always going to have a porous defence. As soon as you've not got that beautiful thing going forward, then you're in a lot of trouble. Yesterday at home, he started Max. And it's not it's not only Max Meyer that I'm after, but it's the fact that he's changing about. 
it's good in a way that I didn't start Max against Cardiff and he started starting Max at home because that's what we've been crying for with someone who can carry the ball and can be that player to go past uh, the midfielder or two and create chances. And you saw that um, against Everton as well. He started Max at Everton and dropped him for the away game against Cardiff. So I feel like he's slightly making him changes. I don't, I don't know if I'm falling for the trap, but I'm just hopeful if he continues making changes for next season, I, I'm confident that our, that our home form can improve. But that's a big if. And he's shown signs of glimpses. And that's why I'm somewhat looking forward to next season now. If we can continue that and hopefully in the summer we can shuffle and get some plays in. I know it's going to be a bit hard with our financial position, but hopefully next season we can sort out our home form. And if we continue playing like we did away, then we can have a really decent season. But that's a big if. But I'm trusting Roy for next season. It's weird that I'm saying this right now, but I've got, <laughs> I've got a bit of trust for him. Yeah, I, I think um, I think people would actually be be happy. And I think if you look at the way we played in this game, it does beg the question... If you think some of the home games where I think Cardiff at home is a is a good example of that, and I think probably both home and away against against Tottenham as well in the, in the league, those are the t- type of games where you just felt we were too reserved. We just we didn't play uh, the way that we perhaps should have done. And again, look at the way we played against Brighton as well. Far too sedate. Didn't play the occasion. We tried, you know, you kind of almost understand trying to play, just play the same way. Keep it, keep yourselves calm, lads. Keep yourself consistent. You can't do that in a derby game. And, you know, Roy's been around long enough to know that. So I think those are the games that built the frustration. But when you come to the end of the season, you look at the table, you look at the goals we've scored and, some of the, the the fantastic wins that we've had, you know, beating Arsenal, beating Man City, being the only club to do that. I don't know if anyone mentioned that the other day, but um, it just really, I think it emphasises that that Roy's overall approach we probably should have had a little bit more respect for throughout the course of the season. But again, it's completely understandable that we didn't. It's completely understandable that fans got frustrated because there was certainly a period in the season a run of games where we, I think if you pinpoint the loss to Brighton against when they had 10 men and then the loss to mm. West Ham the day after, funnily enough, we're, you know, we, we scored two goals against West Ham. But those two games in particular really turned the crowd because it was very, very hard to take those two defeats in a row. And I think following up the Man City win, with a nil-nil at home against Cardiff as well, was a real trigger for a lot of frustration from all of us on this show and from a lot of the fan base in general. But I think most people would have got to the end of the season. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com season and be feeling a lot better about things and that's only fair now let's take a few minutes to to talk about uh julian speroni and jason punch and we won't talk particularly long on this and that's not because we don't respect um the the two gentlemen in question i think we just need to give it a mention this week because we have got an end of season show coming up where i think we'll get into that in a bit more detail um i'll start with with, with jules obviously there's so much you could say about him but we just won't see a player in the modern game do anything like what Julian Speroni has done. All the videos that we've had to watch over the last week or so, it's been so, so emotional. At the end of the game, the interviews he's done, everything. It's just, I can't, it's so hard to watch Julian Speroni getting that emotional. But at the same time, I can't not watch it because it's what I want to see 
from a footballer representing Crystal Palace. I want them to, to love the club as much as I do. And, and he just gets it. And, and I'm not trying to disrespect any other players, but to, to get it the way Spironi does, to have given the club what he's given, is just unbelievable. And um, I, I just I don't want him to go. I really don't. But he has, he's, got, he's going, but I just don't want it to happen. It felt like my dad was leaving me in a way. I don't know how to describe it, but the way that Jules was on the pitch and La, Pobo- La Pobona and me coming to act, like me actually realising that this is it. He's leaving us now. Like this is the last La, La Pobona and then Jules is gone. It's just crazy because he's, yeah, he's been with us for basically my lifetime. And that's, that's a massive positive because nowadays you don't really see that. But he's a, top gentleman on and off the pitch if you've spoken to Jules before you'll know that Jules is the type of person who will just speak like he's not that type of footballer who he'll say all right cool yeah 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 he'll speak with you like he's genuinely interested in the conversation and from where he has started and where we are right now he hasn't changed he's still that same legend he is and that's why it's such a big loss for us because even when new players come in, I'm pretty sure there was a quote out there. Even when new players come in, Jules is always there to greet them. And you saw by the reaction yesterday, there's some players that haven't been there for that long and they still respect Jules like he's like they've played with him for the last 10 years. And that really shows it because he's an absolute legend. And no matter what happens, he'll be missed. Just Even though he didn't play this season, he'll still be missed hugely. And it's unfortunate, but best of luck to him in the future. It felt like my dad is leaving me. Wow. That's yeah. uh, that's some prophetic words. Um, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a shame that you're not old enough to remember Alex Kalinko or Gabba Kibo, really, because um, we've had a we've had our really decent share of amazing keepers. Um, there's been a lot of que- like a lot of questions have been around uh, Jules this week. Obviously, um, thank you for all of your comments as ever. Uh, let's take Richard Evans. Can't Spironi be kept on as a goalkeeping coach or does he, does he not want to do that? Um, basically, from what I understand, he wants to carry on playing. Um, so the reason that he's not going straight into uh, a job at Palace, as I'm sure he'll end up doing, is that he wants to carry on literally uh, playing. So I'm sure he's going to end up one or two seasons with a lower league club. Um, and I don't think that anyone can begrudge him that because he apparently he's still as fit as ever, um, you know, still training as much as ever. So if he's got, if he thinks he's got two seasons left in him, then he'll be back at Palace. There's no question. I think he, you know, he's, he's definitely said that that's the reason he hasn't been offered anything to remain at Palace as a as a player, um, and he has options at, at home and abroad from what's been said by various people on the socials so it's um yeah it's a sad thing but he i think he said it in the the post-match interview where he said he doesn't want to have any regrets about stopping playing he could stop playing he could remain at the club in whatever role that might be obviously we have a goalkeeping coach but i'm sure they would there would be room for him either as a maybe an academy keeper coach or something like that initially i'm sure there would always be a place for him at, at palace i've no doubt about that but I think, you know, Dougie's another one who said it about you, you play on as long as you can. That's the advice that, that all the old pros give you because once you stop, that's it. And, it you, you know, you never, you miss it and you can never get it back. Um, so it's sort of a little bit, obviously it is heartbreaking, but at the same time, it's great to think that he'll go somewhere and get some play, you know, play another couple of seasons, bring that, that experience and that joy to, to another club. But nothing will ever stop the fact that, you know, he is Crystal Palace and, and always will be. How, whatever happens at another football club, that, that won't change a thing. And, um, yeah, you can only wish him the very, very best for that. So I think it's a good deal. One last little bit on Spironi. Let's get uh, to punch after that. Oh, yeah, I was going to, I thought you were going to spit, uh, skip punch for some reason. Go, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's... Um, Obviously, Jason Punchin was at the game, which was a nice touch. Technically, he was still on loan at Huddersfield, but um, I don't know if he was injured, suspended, or just they allowed him to, to not be selected and come back to Palace. But um, it was really nice to see him get a, a touch in reception. Not always been given a, the, the, you know, the respect he perhaps deserves from some, some areas, but in general, the, the crowd love him. And I, what was really nice for me was you know, his his words that were were sort of published after the game where he talked about the fact 
that Palace is his club. You know, he was, everyone calls his old oh, Punchins of Spurs fans, Punchins of Millwall fan, whatever. You know, he, he uh, as a kid, he was a Palace fan. He, he said that, confirmed it. He feels Palace is his club. And he gave us some absolutely great years. Changed as a player, joined us very much as a winger, converted to an excellent central midfielder. And for a while, he was what made us tick whether people want to accept that or not he was absolutely vital there was a very long period of time where we hadn't lost a game where he where he started some of the goals as well and I know there was some you know a couple of great free kicks winning big games Man City Liverpool but most important for me was the goal against Norwich that really changed the direction we were heading at the time I don't think he'd scored for either all that season or at least the majority of that season and just out of nowhere, as we were struggling to break Norwich down, cut inside from the right-hand side, smashed a left foot it shot in and just ran over screaming to the homes down, just basically burst into tears. That will, that memory will live with me a very, very long time. I've seen a lot of emotion from players, but the, the look on his face when that ball went in and the just sheer relief, it's only probably matched by his um, emotional reaction to the FA Cup final, but we don't talk about that. So what a player for us uh, and rightly given a fantastic reception. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say I was Jason Punch's biggest fan for when he played for us. I'll be honest. Um, I think it went a bit downhill after the captaincy. I don't know what it, what it is with captains and us. Um, Scott Daniels, like a similar situation. Um, but yeah, I think Overall, if you're looking at some of the goals he scored, he he his contribution has been massive for us. Um, you think about, I, I'm going to say it, the FA Cup final, that goal, I've never celebrated a goal as hard as that goal. And that was from Jason Punchin. The Norwich goal, as I mentioned, that was from Jason Punchin. He has been a great servant for us um, in his time here. And I feel like the bigger picture here is that, yes, Jules is leaving and I'm very upset about that. And yes, Punch is leaving, which... In preseason, I, I thought he had a good preseason, and maybe he could have been a decent squad player. But that wasn't the case, of course. But the bigger picture here is that the club is not the club is thinking in financial and business terms rather than having a personal relationship with players, which is good because, as we've mentioned before, we're not in a position where we're good financially, and that's good to see from the club at least. Is the fact that you know if you're not going to contribute to the squad, there's no point of you giving your contract just because you're Jason Punching. Or even Julian Sproni, as much as it hurts me, Jules is the first choice, third choice goalkeeper, and yes, he wants to play, but he's not going to contribute to us in really any any kind of way. I know he had some, he had, he played for us against Tottenham and Liverpool, but I don't know if he's if he's worth paying money to in a way. Jules is going to come back anyways, but yeah, I think that's the biggest point like, out of this to Jules and Punch is the fact that the club is thinking in financial terms, and that's good, really. Yeah, there's always I always like to think that there's room for sentiment in football, um, and, and we'll talk more about that in a, in a sec um, with with the non-selection of of Spironi. But Mike, I'm conscious you didn't mention Punch. Your, your views on Punch? Yeah, I, I I don't think it's a surprise to anyone. Um, he's he, he didn't rip up trees at Huddersfield either, although that was pretty much an impossible task. But I, I reckon he's got another season in him, maybe. League One, um, you know, he's, he's had his issues off the field and I think that maybe um, meant that the fact that both of them were leaving this week, Jules was the only one that anyone talked about and I can understand that. Um, but, you know, he's still got a bit of life in him and I'm sure he's, he, he's going to end up being like a pundit or something, I'm sure of that. Like, he, he's a he's a charismatic man. Um, he'll do well. It's funny, a few a few players that have played with him have actually mentioned him as a potential manager in the future. And I don't think many people thought that that was a, something that they would have expected to hear. Um, but at the same time, I, that would that would interest me just to see whether or not he, you know, he could he could move into that type of a role. But whatever's next for him, obviously, got to wish him all the best. Definitely got a bit of time left in him. Um, still. You know, played a few Premier League games. Yeah, he did, as you say, he did rip up trees at Huddersfield. But, you know, in the games that he has played, as Dio mentioned, pre-season and, and the bits that he just did in the, in the first team, still looked like he was... He's, he's always had good technique, always been a, a calm presence on the ball. And I, I hope he can go on and, and play another year or two and, and really have an effect somewhere else. Right, let's delve into the match itself. Uh, not a, Again, it's end of season. There's eight goals. It's 
nigh on impossible to cover exactly everything and analyze it in detail. Um, I just I want to do a quick a quick summary. I think it was pretty obvious from the first whistle that it was going to be something something of a spectacle. Um, initially, I was it was a bit backwards and forwards. Didn't know what what was really going to happen, and just racing into that three 0 lead was unexpected. I think the 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 deflection on the cross was fortuitous, but the finish from Batshuayi was excellent for the first goal. Uh, I think. Well, let let go, on, Mike. Let's let's jump in. Let's talk. Yeah, about I mean, let's talk about Batshuayi. First of all, it reminded me of the the whole game to, uh, that that sealed us staying up. I think it was two seasons ago. Um, I, I just went into the game thinking we would win, which is really rare against Bournemouth. The away game, I love their stadium. Um, standing in it, but I knew we were, it, we we were totally outplayed by them for the majority of the game. Um, it just felt like we were going to win this, and and that's why really cemented the fact that he seems a bit like when I was talking about um, being an attacking team and having one player missing is is the difference. That's why was the reason that we did so well in that game and I know Wilf was amazing but just I mean that first goal it was pure luck that the cross landed up for him but such an amazing finish the second one um I've got to say Wan-Bissaka was probably having a shot and probably he probably thought that yeah I haven't scored a goal yet I better have a crack um (laughs) like I haven't seen a player with that sort of sense for goal at Palace for a long time um, and I feel like he was the difference in the period that mattered in that game so the first the first 40 odd minutes um, he, he really was special and if that was his last game it's going to be sad to see him go because apparently um, I think it was on match of the day I, I'm not sure I haven't double checked the stat but he started nine games and we've won every one of them and, and that is that is quite a statistic yep. Yeah, I think I think this, he scored. I think it's six in thirteen for us, um, including those two. He, I'm going to say it, Mike. You know, it's good to see someone prowl in the box. It really is. Um, we, Absolutely. We, as you say, we don't see that too often from our, from our strikers. And I, you know, coming a striker who comes alive in that six yard area, they're worth their weight in gold if you give them the opportunities. And you really do feel confident, as Andros was last week when he celebrated before the ball even reached Batshuayi. You feel confident if he gets that opportunity in and around that area that he's going to put it away more often than not. And I talked last week when I got into my red, amber, green stuff. I talked last week about how had he really done enough to justify being a £30 million striker. And it's funny what one game can do because all of a sudden I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> if he can score at that rate throughout the course of a season, that that really does address a lot of our issues up front. Um, but you have to play to, to his strengths. And him playing up alongside Wilf really had started to click. And we'd seen Wilf play really well alongside Benteke as well, who's much more of a physical presence. But the hold-up play from Batshuayi was very strong as well. Probably the strongest I've seen him uh, play that role. So it was a lot better. Um, but a lot of that comes down to the amount of space available on the pitch. Uh, it was considerably more than we've experienced at home more often than not this year I think that was a huge factor in what we saw whether or not you could do that by by being brave on the ball and, and taking the game to the opposition and playing someone like Max Mayer to unlock it that that's always going to be the debate and, and we can't really answer that question clearly but but I was yeah, hugely impressed by him. What we really need is a natural goal scorer and that's what he is it's not like the the way that we play the strikers aren't really that involved until it comes to the final third and you're on a box and the ball comes to you and uh, you saw it yesterday and the game before that against Leicester Batshuayi he made the most out of chances it's not like Batshuayi gets the ball runs past players because the way that we play we don't really expect that from strikers and he really fits into our system and that's what I feel like and it's going to be difficult in the summer of course and I don't really see it happening but we should make it we should try our best at least to try and bring Batshuayi back. I don't know what's going to happen with Chelsea because they've got a transfer ban. They're going to have around 500 people on the training ground when the summer approaches. So they're probably going to get rid of some players. So I don't know. We might have a chance. We may we may not, but we have to, we have to try our best at least. 
Yeah, I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough. Like it, it, Chelsea might not have the transfer ban; it might be lifted, um, and he might be an option. Um, and I would say, it, you know, the wages would be enough to to maybe tempt Palace into buying him, regardless of if he is thirty million. Um, and he is one of those players that can disappear for seventy minutes and then and then pop up. Um, but what's I think what's important about him is that. In the, you're exactly right. He fits into the system, and that is really rare. Like you, you can you can get a striker that seems amazing, but if he doesn't fit into the sort of counter-attacking play, um, you can talk about Benteke holding up the ball as much as you want, but it, it obviously didn't it didn't make that much difference to counter-attacking football for Palace for the season. So um, I, I I really was a fan of him, and I honestly can't see him coming just because I don't think Chelsea are going to let anyone go whatsoever. Um, but it's sad and, it's sad and perhaps I'm a little bit more sad about that than I am about punching, to be honest. Wow. Here we go. Oh, wow. um, I, just, I just want to very quickly, uh, at the time of recording, 12 minutes ago, Christian Benteke has actually tweeted saying, it's been a tough season for me personally. Injuries have meant that I've struggled for consistency. The fans have been incredible and the boys have performed brilliantly. Looking forward to pre-season already and coming back ready to hit the ground running for next season. <laughs> so there you go. So he's saying that he is coming back. Did you clap because he clapped? Is yeah. that what, you... what? He clapped. All right. Benteke finished his tweet with a clap. I was just wondering if that's why you did yeah. <laughs> Oh, you didn't know that. <laughs> there you go. Good, good work. Um, so I just wanted to mention that in there. I won't go into any more detail on it. So we talked about the first couple of goals. Obviously, the third goal was from a fantastic run from Wilfred Zaha. Um, and he just he, play, he played like that all game. He was, he was brilliant. And we'll talk more about that in, in a sec. Um, fourth, so, so obviously Lerma hit an absolute screamer before the break. Uh, after the break, deflected effort from Jordan Ibe. Brought it back to 3-2. You know, started to get a little worried and Bournemouth were on top. Uh, but the, the fourth, um, <laughs> well, Mike, the fourth. I just wanted to go back to the, to the Lerma goal quickly, actually. Um, bearing in mind, he couldn't be in the goal of the season on match of the day because it was on the day. Um, but for company to get it and Townsend to not get it, I I just, and then for Lerma to not get it. <laughs> Um, because I, I mean, <laughs> I, I've not seen, I've not seen a goal at Palace where we're all just like actually clapping, just like, wow. I mean, that that was such a strike. I mean, it was absolutely amazing, um, and I would have said that that was better than Company's goal as well. And I, I know it's because City won the league and all that kind of stuff, but um, well, that excuse is rubbish, though. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, it is. It, it really is. Yeah. It's not. It's not. Oh, what goal was the most important? It's goal of the season. Which goal was the best, regardless of the situation they're in? And Andros Townsend's goal was better than Company's goal. Simple as. Yeah, completely agree. Rob Palmer uh, tweeted in earlier saying why the hell Townsend's goal wasn't goal of the season, and, and absolutely right. It is idiotic, and the, as you say, the justification given on match of the day. It just again big club bias, idiocy. It's, it's you know yeah. What's the most important goal of the season is a very different question to what is the best goal of the season. They should be talking about the best goal of the season. Ian Wright almost said the right thing before before backing. You got pressured, yeah. Yeah, I just I'm just just ridiculous, and yeah, if it could possible to lose any more respect for that program, it, I, I have. But there you go. Um, that was PBA, wasn't it? So much maligned in recent times. Yeah, and and I mean. Uh, most of the credit's got to go to Wilf again. Like I would say possibly his best game of the season uh, and proof again that you shouldn't wind Wilf up. Um, but it is exactly what PVA needed and it was still a great finish. I mean, I know that the keepers, it was only a second game um, and after his amazing man of the match game, the first the first game he had, it was a pretty rude awakening for the, for the Premier League. But um, PVA needed that um, because again... Early on in the game, it felt like he was missing, um, and it felt like he he is the player. You know that's the position that we maybe need to strengthen uh, in the off season. But we proved again that going forward he is amazing. And let's let's not forget that um, 
Wan-Bissaka hasn't actually scored a goal for Palace, but PVA keeps, you know, making sure that he does get on the score sheet, and and he's still got his place. Like he's a, a very attacking, uh, he's a very attacking player, and yeah, respect to him because that was that was not by by no means was that was the move finished when he got the ball. It was it was a tough finish. I feel like PVA, it was it was important from Hodgson to start him as you don't want player to overthink why he's being dropped. PVA understands that he hasn't performed well, so you drop him for a game or two, but then if you drop him, I thought if you dropped him for the final game as well, he may overthink it and going into summer, you don't want that. But regards to PVA and Wan-Bissaka, like, okay, PVA hasn't performed, but yeah, Wan-Bissaka don't score goals, but you don't let in goals. That's the difference. I mean, PVA scores goals, but even yesterday... He was a liability def- defensive. He was, he was, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm not saying that that makes <laughs> that makes up for PVA's problems, but um, I think, I think that's the only thing Wambasak is missing. But what PVA proved is that you, you know mm. you, you can have a, a, a player on the flank um, making a difference. And to be honest, that that was the goal that ended the game, um, and and it, it, it yeah. was an excellent finish through his legs. You can't fault him. No, absolutely right. And uh, of course, yeah, you, ideally you want him to do a better job defensively, but he, you know, he does bring you does bring you that threat going forward. Obviously, the final goal from Townsend, first of all, great finish. But second of all, the most important part, you mentioned not making Wilf angry. Lerma had wound him up, got him booked, and he just exploded, didn't he? Just absolutely. He was in danger with his reactions to Lerma to getting sent off. He was really quite wound up, had to get spoken to a couple of times after the yellow card in that immediate aftermath. And then, obviously, the Bournemouth fans, you're going to cry in a minute and all this kind of stuff. But then he did exactly what you want him to, to do. Most importantly, it's a big two fingers up to the people who call him a diver. Because Klein, I'm not kidding, when I watched that challenge back, he could have gone for that. And Lerma just had no interest whatsoever in anything other than trying to push Zaha over. Too strong, too fast, too skillful. Great ball across, fantastic awareness. And he rightly celebrated that goal like he'd scored it himself because it was all about Wilf. I hope very much that it's not the last time we see him in a Palace shirt. But if it was, what a fitting way to, to get for a send-off. Uh, just absolutely, just epitomises everything about him in one moment. Brilliant. I mean, I don't want to be the harbinger of doom, but, you know, he's really come into form at the end of the season. And that was so special. I think that was possibly my favourite goal of the season. Um, because so many times in those situations, he's gone down. He carried on going. He was so angry with Lerma. Like I think any other player, he would have just gone down and realised that the the player would have got a booking. Um, you know, took took the set piece, carried on. But what worries me is that was a high profile goal. Um, you know, people have realised that Wilf has come on from the sort of maybe maybe even this season, but certainly last season where he would have gone down, made a mess of it, moaned a lot. Um, He's carried on strong as hell, strong as an ox, um, and crossed the ball over to Andros. And that just seems like that's the sort of perfect way to say, how much do you want to pay for me? That's what that's what worries me about that that move, that that fifth goal. I, I think I'd have rather won four three, um, because that's going to make some big clubs think, mm, Wilf, it really is special. Um, I, I know what you mean, but I'm not that worried after one goal. I don't think a club is going to come and say, you know, after that one goal, all right, let's get Wilfred Zaha because he's shown he's shown class before. But I think with Wilf, he's still under contract. It really depends on what he wants. If he wants out of the club, then you know, if he wants sixty million, let's say, what if he wants out? Then you, clubs don't have to pay sixty million. So it really depends on what Wilf wants. And what people tend to forget, which I talked about on Love Sport as well, is that. Yes, Wilf wants to play in the Champions League and all the European competitions because he's got the talent too. But then again, you have to realise they've got footballers got life outside of football. And Wilf's family, well, from what I see on social media anyways, he really cares about his family and he seems like he's genuinely happy where he is right now. And I think that's another consideration that you have to think about as well is that, all right, Wilf wants to play in European competitions, but is he happy with his life? Because there's more to life than the 
than just football. And some players may want to play, um, may care more about football than family, but some players care about the opposite. So, Absolutely, but this is this is panic. This is this is just pure panic now. This is this is a Palace fan just panicking. That's all this is. I'm not. I, I'm just saying in general. Like, I know this. This is me. Me panicking. Oh, like, okay. Oh, okay. And, and to add to that panic and to destroy the point that you're making, there, Dr. There are other bigger clubs in London. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I understand yeah, that, but yeah, the rumored clubs um, so, haven't. So it's, you've heard Tottenham. Nothing's happened with them, and I doubt they'll come for Wilf, but you never know. I don't know. I'm not that worried about losing Wilf, I'll be honest, in the summer. Well, okay. Well, let's see how that pans out. Um, Look, there's plenty more to talk about the fact that it's an end of a season. Um, Review various other bits and pieces. Talk about what we expect to happen in the summer. All that kind of business, but we will save that for what I hope will be at some point an end of season show. No idea when it's going to be or who's going to be on it, but at some point we will definitely do one. Uh, There's one last little bit of uh, list of contact from Harvey Jones asking our views on the new shirt, which I think we'll end with. Um, I will give my views first. First of all, I absolutely love it. I, the the second I saw it, loved it. Love the, the, the flashes of white on it. It just, Proper Palace kit. I think Harvey said it. He keeps seeing hints of the 97 shirt, the whole Lombardo thing, the Adidas shirt, I think that was. Uh, fantastic, fantastic kit that was. And I really, really love this one too. And there's no yellow on it, which I think is, you know, really important. Going to white instead, that's made such a difference. I mean, uh, the Puma kits are obviously already really popular because the third kit has been sold out for a few weeks now. Um, but usually you can get the dreg sizes um, of of all the kits after the end of the season in the sale. They've all gone. You can get nothing but small. I can guarantee, like, I am not in any way a fat man. Like, I, I am I'm fairly small. Um, I bought myself uh, two larges of the player fit, and they are tight as they are so tight. Uh, I had um, to swear. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. Uh, they are so tight. Um, so I thought I'll get myself an extra large. All gone, all gone. So the Puma kits are really popular, and they've just made last season's better. So I cannot fault it. I thought the little the little white line down the front was a bit weird um, on Luca, but other than that, uh, yeah, I, best kit in in a fair few years, I reckon. It makes it stand out, doesn't it? I think the away kit got a lot of to live up to now after their home kit, and yeah. We're talking about kits at the end of the day. It's not the biggest thing, but we scored five goals. We, we talk. We scored five goals in this new kit, so like it's it's a, it's a good start. It's an important question. It, like kits, kits are important. Like that's that's what makes you remember a season, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I, I I really hope it's not a yellow away kit, and a, a black one would be absolutely lovely. Yeah, me too. There we go. Well. Excellent. Cheers, gents. Lovely bit of fashion at the end there. Um, always enjoyable. But no, I totally agree with you, Mark. You, you do often define seasons by by the kit. And certainly when we look at our past and, and, and talk about seasons, we always seem to refer to the relevant kit. Well, I did it earlier. I talked about the Lombardo kit. So there you go. Um, there was another question in there about how well Andros did, but we can't... Um, we'll talk about Love Sport. Necessarily... Yeah, talk about Love Sport tomorrow. That's uh, 7 till 9pm. Um live but also will be a podcast shortly afterwards preview shows done there's nothing nothing more to preview of course and this obviously has been the last review show of the season can i thank all of you so much for listening throughout the course of this season or even if this is the first one you've listened to welcome and yeah there'll be something else soon but um yeah brilliant thank you so much obviously thanks to my panel and to everyone else who's been on the show this season on this review show and course sam for producing and obviously anyone else who has produced the show i suppose i better mention mikey by name thank you to to mikey for all of his antics uh, <laughs> in the background and um yeah we'll get properly into the thanks next week uh say next week whatever it is in our final show of the season until then see you later It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in?
at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.